Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. to Bulls Gold here on the Barroom Network. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today? Edward, I'm great. Uh, doing well, obviously. It's another uh, fun week of Bulls basketball. Uh, Bulls won, uh, finished 3-2 and two on that road trip. So, you know, Bulls fans in general are pretty happy with how everything is going. It, even with guys like Boosh being out of the lineup and there's still not uh, too much of a happy uh, update on that and like I mean not not that is like a bad update but he's just probably not going to be back he's not going to be back today for sure we Mm -hmm. don't know when he's going to be back in general but yeah like considering like the guys that we miss and the Bulls are still what the second best record in the East uh, yeah they're everything is going great yeah, this has uh, been a fun stretch of basketball. We were a little down last week when after the Warriors game, and you know they've adjusted well since then, and they they knocked off the Lakers, they knocked off the Clippers. They should have won that Portland game, but lost that one. And a really good game against the Nuggets, who I think played over their head. I know people will look at that on paper as uh, they you know barely beat a Nuggets team without uh, Jokic, but. That Nuggets team was playing really, really well, and they were hitting some tough shots all game. So the fact that they were able to survive that and get a win was uh, really impressive. And we got to see Bulls fans take over uh, Ball Arena. So that yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> that was well, really you know fun. something <laughs> weird about that. I guess Denver fans can't like. There's like a big segment of Denver fans that can't watch Nuggets games. Apparently, like uh-huh. they don't they don't air Nuggets games. I, that's that's really crazy. I, that's something I saw on Twitter. So that's why that actually, apparently that affects their overall fan base. Like people don't really care about the Nuggets because of that. That's a shame. Cause I mean, given what that's they, wild. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame <laughs> when you have so a player, especially when you have a player like Jokic right now. I mean, that's kind of wild. I'll give you the, yeah. the best player in the world that you're like, yeah, we're not going to air you on TV. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> hey, I mean, it's a good time to be a Bulls fan right now. Then, so, I mean, hey, you can watch those games. I mean, however you're getting them. But, yeah, we got a packed show to get into. We're going to get into, uh, you know, wrapping up this West Coast road trip. The Bulls went 3-2 and two on it with Al Vucevic. So, really impressive. And the next four games are all winnable. So, the Bulls have a chance to continue doing some damage in the Eastern Conference. And joining us to break all of this down, uh, returning to Bulls Gold, he covers the NBA Force Forbes Sports. He also co-hosts the NBA Pod with Brian Support. Morton Jensen. Morton, thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, thank you guys for having me again. Uh, I always love coming on the show. Yeah, it's, it's always a blast having you, Morton. And I, I, congratulations uh, as well to you for that new opportunity with the, yeah. it was TV2 uh, Sports, right? I think yeah, you're, thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're a TV star now. You're Denver, Denmark's 
leading <laughs> basketball uh, TV superstar. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say. I, I'm sure that's not accurate, but yeah, no, I, that is that is true. I, I have uh, I am I'm a part of a weekly NBA show that airs on Danish television, or actually a Danish streaming service from a from a Danish TV channel here uh, in Denmark, which has been so much fun to do. Just sitting there, it's very PTI inspired. So you're sitting there with a running clock and you just make your analysis and all that. And I made sure guys, I made sure that in our first episode ever that we talked about the bulls, I made sure to talk them up. This was right before the season. And I was like, because the, the, the other hosts were skeptics. And I was like, no, 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 no. You you have to understand where the Bulls came from. This was a team with Delcel Valentine and Ryan Archidiacono and Cristiano Felicio. This is something else entirely. And so far, I'm looking pretty damn good. <laughs> are you are you are you fully back on the Bulls board? Like bandwagon like are you are you a bulls fan again or are you like, <laughs> I don't know. I, so, I, I, you're, you're like this this franchise has jaded me and no, I don't no, know no. if I want to. So, so, you know what, you are not the first one to ask me that question. And here's the thing. I think, I think it was healthy for me to step off of the bulls when I did, which is about four years ago, because like it, it, it really gave me a chance to just kind of redirect my energy a little bit more towards the NBA as a whole. Like, you know, when you're only focused on the bulls or not only, but when you're primarily focused on the bulls, that's when, that's when you just kind of lock yourself into one team, I think. Right. And for me to just kind of venture out and, and go see what, what else was out there more so than I did before, that was really nice. And it's something I've kept going back to. So I, I definitely watch every bulls game. I, I root for him in a certain capacity, but I'll always have my analytics cap on first and, and foremost. And I love basketball and the NBA more in totality than I do the Bulls. But but it is fair to say that I have a very, very strong affinity for this team to the point where if you want to call me a fan, go ahead, go right ahead. I won't <laughs> I won't take offense to it. But I'm I'm still watching like the weird games like Detroit versus Charlotte and stuff like that. I'm still way into that as well. So uh, it, it was nice taking that break, but it's also nice being back and watching the Bulls be competent again. Like, I, I feel Jesus. Like, yeah, I feel like you're exactly. not alone in that. I feel like there are a lot of people now who are putting back on their Bulls jerseys, who are in their C-Red mode, who are like the United Center now is even a lot louder. Like before we used yeah. to, I used to like justify why, eh, you know, I can understand why it doesn't come off, you know, loud on TV. But no, now it's legitimately loud. The fans are into it. They have athletic plays that they can get behind. This team has been one of the funnest watches in the NBA so yeah. far this season. Like they've been crazy entertaining. Yeah, they have been. I had them at number one on my league pass rankings. Uh, so every year, Brian Teporek and I do this major two hour uh, extravagance on league pass rankings over at the NBA pod. And this year I had the bulls number one and I got more or less laughed off the show there. And I'm, I am right now just serving oh, yeah. crow to everyone else because it's uh, I, I have, I, I enjoy watching this team much more than anyone else. And I've watched every team in the league play this year mm-hmm. for multiple games. The, the bulls, by far is the funnest team to watch right now. Yeah. And yeah, they have, yeah, I was going to say they have, it's funny. You, you know, you get got like Rob Perez worldwide Wob. you know, the other day he's like bulls again. There's, there's just too many uh, singular highlights. So here's just like a, a, a highlight clip of all those yeah. fun plays that happened today. <laughs> it's like stuff like that. It's like everyone around like the bigger national, like, and then by national, I mean more so like NBA national mm, uh, right. people there more and more you're seeing like 
man, this Bulls team is just fun. This Bulls team is good. A lot of people are, you know, falling back as far as their original prediction saying, man, I was, I was clearly long. Like people like John Hollinger, um, people like Tim Bontemps, uh, who who went out of their way to, you know, just completely say the Bulls wouldn't even be a playing team. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's been fun seeing people, you know, admit they were wrong and it's been, it's just been fun. Like I said, seeing how great this team has been. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. And I think to, in part of part of it, it's not just the entertainment angle. It's also that this team is actually playing competitive basketball. Like it's one thing when you play competitive basketball, but your best player in in the fourth quarter is Ryan Archie Diakono. And now it's like right. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan taking turns of being awesome. That just gives you a nice extra added incentive to watch, right? Like I, I'm not here for pick and pop 17 footers with Cristiano Felicio. I'm, right. I'm, I'm here for short <laughs> roll action with Vooch and Zach and DeMar and Lonzo. Like it's just nice to see the team be competitive again. Yeah, absolutely. And like, Getting back to what you were talking about with the the fourth quarter, I'd argue that that's the most entertaining part so far of being a Bulls fan is watching Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan perform in the fourth quarter. And we got to see that in this game against the Denver Nuggets. It was a really close game the entire way. And Denver was really hitting some (laughs) tough shots and they had a lot of players kind of playing above their head. But Zach Levine closed that game out in a big way, Mm. looked like a bonafide superstar in this game there there were a bunch of different takeaways from this game Caruso his usual really great defense Derek Jones Jr. as a small ball five we got to see him as the role man a lot and he was throwing down some really nice dunks this is just a really really fun game so what did you make of how the Bulls closed out this road trip in Denver and like what were just your thoughts on just watching Zach Levine Mm. play the way he did in the fourth quarter no, I think it was super impressive because this this was the test, right? Like they they played well to open the season, but you were kind of a little bit on the fence. Like, is this real? Was this just early season luck? Was this early season enthusiasm that played in? Can they really go on the road and actually have a winning record? Can they? Because because like historically speaking, the circus trip, as we call it, is is it's been problematic for the Bulls. Like they have had a lot of years where they either went like one in six, like when it, when it went longer, like sometimes they included Phoenix and, and Utah in those games. And like, it was just always this very difficult stretch for the Bulls to come out of this three and two when, and let's list this, Vooch is out. Patrick Williams is out. Zach Levine is playing with virtually one hand. Kobe White, who has played three games, has not really returned. I mean, he he scored two points in three games and is shooting 9% from the field. Like He's getting back into the swing of things after shoulder surgery. So the Bulls came in, in, in every game, uh, play, have to, having to play their, their backups. Everyone else on the bench had to play a level above of where they were original sl- originally slotted to play. So for the Bulls to come out of this one, three and two, and with Zach playing the way that he did, despite the busted hand, that proves to me that this team is no joke. They, 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 that's proved to me that I feel confident in putting them into that contender bracket. And people will be saying, oh, contender, wow, slow your roll. It's 16 games in one season. I don't care. 
that defense is super sustainable. The shot making ability of Zach Levine is something we've seen before. DeMar DeRozan is closing out for, uh, for, uh, sorry, fourth quarters, and he's playing the best brand of basketball in his career in large part because he has Zach Levine alongside him. Lonzo Ball is picking his spots, playing great defense, hitting a lot of threes at a high clip. Everything the Bulls do seem sustainable. There isn't like those outliers where they're shooting like 55% over the course of three weeks. Mm. Like this is defense. This is effort. This is execution. This is having a game plan. It's getting to the free throw line. It is moving the ball. So you take open threes. These are sustainable elements to winning basketball. So I am on the bandwagon that says the Bulls are a contender. So that, that's what I took away from the from the road trip. Yeah, it's interesting to see how well they've done, even with I feel like their offense isn't fully functioning yet either. I think there's there's times that they look great offensively, and then there's times that there's some issues, but that's also because you know certain personnel is out right now. Like Vooch, I think people are finally realizing how important he is to this team. Uh, even with a slow start as, as far as, you know, not being able to be the, such a great uh, shooter, was just missing a lot of his normal looks that he he gets. But you see, like, as, as that short roll big, as that offensive hub, uh, even defensively, like, people are, like, are starting to understand, like, look, he, he, he wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't like he was bam out of bio or anything like that, but he, he held his own and he did his job within – what this defense asks for, for him to do. So you see right. all that stuff. Um, and then a guy like Kobe White, too, who's slowly coming back uh, to obviously off his, his, his injury, he was laid out for uh, six months, and now he's coming back. And he's, he's looking to find his place, not his place on this team, but like also building chemistry with the guys. Um, what have your, been your thoughts on Kobe as far as like what you're seeing out of him, out of him his timidness, his uncertain, his like his like, I don't say uncertainty, but like he's kind of looks like he's trying to he's kind of second guessing himself at times as well. Uh, right. What do you see out of that? And then there's always also been conversation from some people about like, oh, maybe he should go play in the G League for uh, a couple of games, which I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, I understand why you would have that inclination because right now the Bulls are indeed competing. And that's why I understand why people are saying, well, can you really have Kobe out there getting reacclimated to things like because wins right now are far more important than they've been over the past four years. Um, so I understand that that ideology, but I don't necessarily agree with it. Like you, I think Kobe needs to get some more reps. I think he needs to get those minutes in out there so he can feel a little bit more comfortable because like we've seen, he's missing shots right at the rim. Like the, the ball is even rolling off the rim when he comes in for layups where you kind of go, Oh, there you go. He has a bucket. Oh no, he didn't. That rolled out. So th this is him just getting, uh, used to playing with a brand new roster, brand new schemes, uh, him trying to fit in because he got used to starting last year. Now he's coming off the bench. He's playing spot minutes because he's trying to get back into the swing of things. Like I get the hesitation from him. I, I get that he's having a slow start, but also it's been, it's been three games. I'm not worried at all. I think like they're playing the Knicks tonight. 
I wouldn't be shocked if he came in because it's a home game. He's had success against the Knicks before. Like he'll come in and could easily have a couple threes and, and a layup and a mid-range bucket. Like that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Like the talent is clearly there. It's just a matter of feeling comfortable. And where else to feel comfortable than playing at home? So I think that is going to help him out a little bit. I'm not worried is kind of my point, at least not yet. If we go into like the middle of December or late December and he's still playing like this, all right, <laughs> then, I'm, mm-hmm. then I am I am skeptical of whether or not you can bring him back into like a six-man capacity role. But again, I just, I think he'll find his ground. How, how long has he's been out? What, four months has it been? Yeah, four or five four, months. Four or five and he months, didn't yeah. even do like because it's the shoulder thing. He didn't even work out during the, the summer. He was all it was all about rehab. Yeah, and that's 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 a hard thing for him as well because he's a shooter. And I believe he was quoted as saying that this was this was his first major injury. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I think it was him who said that. And if he's never had downtime before where he had to rehab instead of just come out and shoot, because he couldn't shoot for a long time. It was a shoulder injury. I could see how that made him a little bit hesitant. I could see why that messed up his rhythm a little bit, because what do shooters do? They shoot (laughs) also in practice for him not to have that. Yeah, that's that's something he needs to overcome mentally, I think, which I think he will. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one saving grace is that. Ayo Dusumu has been better than any of us anticipated. I don't even think no. we thought that he was going to be a rotation player coming into the season, but he looks like a clear rotation player this season, and he's been playing on both sides of the ball and providing really good energy. Like he's been a, a really mm. critical part of that bench unit. So I think he's kind of offsetting it a little bit. So even if Kobe does have to go down to the G League at some point or, you know, he continues to struggle the way he is, I think Ayo is doing a pretty good job making up for it. And as you mentioned, Kobe coming back, when if he gets back to what he was last year, if he's if he is just the same player as he has been the last few years, that is a notable upgrade for this team that has lacked yeah. shooting, like high volume shooting. So it, it really is a win-win. Like the Bulls don't need kobe to be like this amazing player they just need him to do what he's been doing at bare minimum (laughs) yeah no you're absolutely right you're hitting the nail on the head on that one because this was always his role i I mean last year when he was starting that frustrated a lot of people but i think for for the, the 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 analysts the bulls analysts out there that looked at that experiment long term they realized you know this is actually pretty good a pretty good opportunity for him to hone his passing skills a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, hone his ability to read the floor, because then when he does re-enter that six-man role, that or six-man, whatever you want to call it, like the, the gunner off the bench role, mm-hmm. he's going to have more control of the floor than he otherwise would have had if he just come off the bench consistently over three years. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was an investment to the future. And right now it's not paying off because of the injury, but again, it's, three games. I just can't get hot and bothered by three games so far. So we'll see what he picks up. But if he comes back and gives you like 14 points off the bench in a, in a role where the bench much, uh, the bench really needs some offensive firepower. I mean, good Lord. Then I, I almost, I want to ask them what's the weak point of this Bulls team. Yeah. And yeah, I think also with Kobe, um, and you've touched on it too, but it's, it's just about, him understanding like as as playing more of like an off ball role because he doesn't really have the ball like he's trying to understand like okay Demar has the ball here 
where am I going to get my spots at? Mm. I know when I'm, you know, when they swing the ball to me, you know, it's like, I can't hold on to the ball. I have to move it. Things like that. It's just understanding, getting comfortable, understanding what he has to do in this offense. And, you know, that is going to take some reps. That's going to be, you know, practice time, getting to know his teammates tendencies, you know, that, that all plays into it. And that's the other reason why going to the G league does nothing for him, because if he goes to the G league, he's going to be last two years, Kobe, where he's going to get the ball in his hand all times. He's going to get to go one-on-one and just kind of, you know, shoot himself and, you know, score 45 plus points or whatever. But when he comes back here, that role is going to go away again. So he needs to, he needs to get comfortable in that, in his new role and understand how to play with his new teammates. Fully agree. Fully agree. And and besides, yeah, you, again, you're, you're right in the sense that he has to play more off the ball. That's where he's at his best. That was even the word on him coming in to the draft, which was like, don't make him a playmaker, make him more of a spot up shooter. That's when he's his best. Well, right now the bulls have so much playmaking that it's just about him getting acclimated to it. Like you have Lonzo who can set him up. You have tomorrow who can set him up. You have Levine who can set him up. You have Vooch like, and hell you even have IO if they share the court together, who's also a decent passer. Um, but you write about IO as well in the sense that he comes in and becomes sort of a security blanket. Like if Kobe isn't up to par over the next month or so, like he's playing his way back, that's when you can lean on IO and go, okay, so you know what? We at least get some level of production from that guard spot. It might not be as dynamic as Kobe going in in the fourth quarter and getting seven triples, mm-hmm. but it's consistent. Like it is a six foot five guard, maybe six four. I'm not really sure. Like he 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 he, he measures out differently on on most sides. Io that is, but he's a guy who can who can get to the basket, who can hit spot up the jump shots. He can even take guys off the dribble a little bit. So yeah, it, it's it's an optimal situation for Kobe coming back. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, and the crazy thing with Io, like I mean, it's low volume, but he's hitting that three ball, especially in the corner threes. Mm. Like he's hitting that shot. It's and if he keeps doing that, I mean, like like Ed said, I mean, I certainly didn't expect him to be in the rotation, but the fact that he's already a a bona fide three and D player off the bench, it's like wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's really encouraging. We did not expect that at all. And it's just been a good addition to the bench and it creates so many different lineups. Like I think I think that's been the other part of the season that's been really impressive is that the Bulls bench has been we knew it was going to be improved, but it's been pretty damn good. I mean, you have so much versatility coming off of it. You have a bunch of guys who can defend coming off of it. You bring Caruso, you bring Io, you bring uh Derek Jones Jr., like Troy right. Brown Jr., when he was playing a little bit, he wasn't bad defensively. Like, there are a bunch of guys on that bench who can defend, and they're also capable enough offensively where they're not killing you either. So it gives you so much versatility. And I, I think I, I remember a tweet that you had the other day, more. I can't remember the day, but it was a good tweet. Uh, and you always have good tweets, so not just <laughs> <I appreciate it. laughs> But it, it was something about, and you probably remember it, you were saying how the Bulls have so many guards who are like 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", and bring so much to the table defensively while not hurting you offensively. And it creates so many different lineups that makes it hard 
to for opposing teams to match up on like kind of I, I know you remember the tweet but you can explain it yeah. better than me <laughs> no it, it was actually john hollinger credits john because okay, he yeah. was he he was the one who brought that up first and foremost like mm-hmm. he was he had that uh mea culpa article at the athletic where he basically said well guys i was wrong about the bulls and here's what i've kind of noticed and i was i was actually planning on writing that but then he did and i kind of want to elaborate on twitter and it is when you have a lineup or rotation out there when no one is uh, smaller than six foot four, that gives you so much positional advantage because in terms of size, like you can switch the ever living hell out of everything because of that, especially with the Javante green, who is like six foot four, but plays like he's six, nine. Then you have Alex Caruso who can guard one through three and sometimes even four because he's that pesky of a defensive guard. And when you have just a bunch of these people, six foot four, six foot five, six foot six and six foot seven, and then you go up to like Vooch who's about six ten, it gives you so much flexibility. Like you're never at a disadvantage. The key here, however, is the offensive side where you have both DeMar and Sack, both of whom are like six, five, six, six. For having two of those guys who can consistently create for themselves and for others, like how do you stop that? We saw what happened with Phoenix last year when they finally got a secondary shot creator in and Chris Paul. They made the finals. Here's the thing, though. Chris Paul is is six foot nothing. So when push comes to shove, I'm not saying you can shut him down, but you can make life difficult for him because he's not super athletic. Like he he'll shoot over the top of somebody. But if you really clamor him down, he will struggle to get off his shot. Good luck trying that with Zach and DeMar DeRozan because of their height. So the Bulls have a certain advantage at every single position, like Lonzo Ball, a six, six point guard who's backed up by Alex Caruso, who's six, five, like Show me a point guard duo in the league who can, who's significantly smaller than those guys who can come in and tear them to stretch. Yeah. I, I don't see a single one. It's yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's so crazy how like the bulls have really upgraded to this more modern style of basketball really in just a matter of one off season. And mm. uh, Rob Schaefer tweeted something the other day from uh, cleaning the glass. He was saying that, uh, in 162 non-garbage time possessions in which the Bulls lineups feature Derrick Jones Jr. at center, their offensive rating is 117.3, which is the 96th percentile, and their defensive rating is 103, which is 83rd percentile, mm. and their net rating is plus 14.3, which is 95th percentile, and their opponent turnover rate is 19.4%, which is 99th percentile. So this is this revelation of Derrick Jones Jr. as a small ball five has been insane. So it's, yeah. it's it's now another wrinkle that Billy Donovan can throw at you if, you know, if Vooch is struggling against a matchup, then it's like, okay, we can, you know, we can just mix and match. Like it, the versatility here is so crazy. Yeah. yeah, it is. And you're right about going into the new age stuff. I think mm. that is like, that is the most crucial thing about this. Our Taurus Cardiachovas, Mark Eversley, decided after watching a year from hell last season that, oh my God, these Bulls are playing just an archaic brand of basketball because of the roster. Like mm-hmm. Billy Donovan did what he could last year with what he had, but the things that he had at his disposal was just not very good. So they came out and they said, so what's the trend in the league? Okay, it's positional flexibility. 
It is positionless basketball. It's being able to play multiple positions for every single player. Lo and behold, outside of Mooch and Tony Bradley, who are exclusively centers, all these guys can play multiple positions. Like Lonzo can play one, two, th- one through three. DeMar can play two through four. Sack can play two to three. Alex Caruso, like at least two positions. Javante Green can probably play four. He started a power forward multiple times. Like he yeah. can probably even play point guard, at least defensively speaking. Io can play two positions at least. Derek Jones Jr. can probably play three. So yeah, you can just, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to have that old traditional setup of, oh, traditional center, traditional power forward, small forward, shooting guard, point guard. No, you just throw out a bunch of wings who can handle the basketball and you throw out bigs who know how to play with those wings and utilize them to the best of their ability like Derek Derek Jones Jr. is making me look like a damn fool because uh, four days ago I wrote an article over at Forbes where I pitched a trade idea where I said okay Patrick Williams is out for the year this might be the year to just go all in and and see if they can actually make it to the finals so why not trade uh, Pat and for salary purposes Derek Jones Jr. for Harrison Barnes like he would be a seamless fit yada 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 and on the surface I still like that idea but Derek Jones Jr. must have read that because ever since I posted <laughs> that he's been proving my ass wrong on the daily that's not a bad no, trade at all yeah, it's, no, it's not a bad <laughs> idea for sure I, I, I do want to touch base on Billy here because I, I felt like this is probably his maybe his first time in the NBA being able to fully coach, like take the whole roster and be like, this is what I want to do. Some of the new, some of the ideas I have, even on the, you know, Billy wasn't necessarily thought of as like a a great X's and O's guy, but I feel like he's, he's done that as well. He's showing his, his full on his full on coaching chops Um, and, and nothing against those Thunder teams. Obviously the talent was, um, you know, high end talent at least was a lot, a lot better, especially when you had KD, uh, Paul George, you had um, Westbrook, but you, you, those, those rosters had bigger egos, maybe not as willing to buy into what Billy wants to do on, especially on offense. That coming into this season, like we said, we're seeing a lot more wrinkles in the offense. What he's doing with Demar, mm. Zach, a lot of the inverted pick and rolls. Uh, the lineups that he's, you know, he's experimenting with, like who would have, who would try, you know, Derek Jones Jr. at the five. No one's ever done that ever until this season. Mm. Uh, this yeah. is his first time playing the five. So just want to get your thoughts on Billy and how you've seen him as a coach this season. And, and has he been even better than your expectations? Yeah, no, I, I always thought Billy Donovan was a great coach. I, I I think what I questioned when he made the transition into the NBA was, you know, for a lot of college coaches, they're very used to running a, a very conservative system with not a lot of freedom because in college, it's, it's very different, right? College players are significantly less mature because they're teenagers. So the coach really has to take those reins and like control everything, like get down to the minutiae. I think Billy Donovan has been absolutely fantastic since joining the Thunder even at taking that foot off the throttle and realizing, no, you know what? Now I'm dealing with grown ass men. Like I have to change my approach. I have to listen to these guys, how they play, what they want to do. And that's carried over to the Bulls as well. Like he, he, I think he learned a lot during his OKC tenure. And now he came into his second team, which was very necessary for him to get over that hump. Zach Levine, 
raves about him. Those two have a great rapport. It's been the longest coach relationship Zach has had in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at least it was the first coach that he had at the start of two seasons in a row. And it just goes to show that there is the mutual level of respect first and foremost. And that, that comes first. Like we can always talk about the X's and O's, but having that connection with your guys, that is priority numero uno for a coach. And he has been able to communicate everything he wants to communicate with these guys. They are able to communicate back to him. He is willing to test things out. Like occasionally you can, you can have a period where sack goes a little bit too ISO heavy and you kind of go, Oh, is that the right call? What should you do? And Billy kind of looks at him and sack looks back at him and you, and he gives him a little wave, like, all right, I'll, I'll slow it down. That's a sign of respect. That's the sign for Levine going, you know what? I see it. You're looking at me in that strange way. I understand what that means. I'm going to give the ball to Demar. I'm going to give the ball to, to, to Lonzo. I'm going to move around. I'm going to, I'm going to be a bait guy instead. That's just tremendous. And as for the X's and O's, having both Sack and Demar scream for each other, having a Derek Jones Jr. playing in the short role, like he's, he was never a passer. Now he's he's learning it on the fly and doing exceptionally well at it. Like those are just wrinkles that I love for a coach to try out because they're unconventional, but they just might work. And Billy is in that mindset of, okay, we have so many different weapons. Let's test things out. Let's see what works. Let's stick with what works for the things that don't. Yeah, we'll filter those out, but we won't necessarily forget about them because maybe down the road, we have some sort of constellation in the lineup where we can try this play again with other people. So it's it's about having that marriage of personnel that is more multifaceted, can do a whole bunch of stuff and listening to what the coach wants. And for Billy to test these things out while also letting the guys be individualists, great, great marriage in Chicago there. Yeah, well said. He's, yeah. He's, I, I think I've always, and I said it there in the off season, he's had a different dynamic every season that he's been in the NBA and he's always found a way to make it work. And I think his, you know, best coaching job up until so far this season had been that Thunder team with Chris Paul, uh, Schroeder, you know, yeah. and those guys who everyone was like, God, oh, they're going to be bottom of the barrel trash playoff team. And they played really well. So he he's, he, he's never been an elite coach to me, but I always thought like, yeah, he's clearly a, solid NBA coach like like a top fit like he's in that top half and I think yeah. as long as you have like if you have like a top half coach I think you can win a championship with them like you don't necessarily always need a top five coach to win it so we we have Billy Donovan who's a really good coach this team is 11 and 5 right now I think they're what tied for third in the Eastern Conference they have a they're seventh in offensive rating ninth in defensive rating uh, fifth and net rating according to basketball reference they have a very winnable stretch of games over the next month or so where they should be favored in a good amount of them most of them right and you said earlier that you view this team as a contender so let me ask you this what is Zach Levine right now as a basketball player is he in the top 15 top 20 like where do you have him at given his play so far this season and what do you think so two-part what do you think this team needs in order to really maximize being a title contender this year and making a run so let's start with Zach okay I I think 
it is difficult to frame Sack uh, as an overall player because there, while he is much improved defensively compared to where he used to be, there is still great, great disparity disparity between his offensive game and defensive game. Mm. So let me focus on the offensive game first and foremost. I would call him a top five player. And like, because we're, we're in that level right now, James Harden is, is falling off a little bit. Devin Booker is, has become significantly more team oriented. He's not really focused on scoring a whole lot. Also, I think Booker is a worse overall offensive player scoring wise, I should say than Zach. I think he's a better playmaker than Zach, but scoring wise in terms of hitting shots, getting to the free throw line, converting um, overall efficiency, Zach is right there. So we're talking about a top five offensive player, in my opinion. And defensively, yeah, it's significantly lower. Like he's he's still in the bottom half of the league. I don't think he's down at the point where you go, oh, he's like a major, major liability. I mm. No, I mean, he's probably what in the 45th percentile or something like that. He's like close to average, but he's not good in that sense. So where does that put him, right? It's such a difficult thing. It's like, how do you outweigh those two components? I would feel comfortable saying top 15. I think that's a fair middle of the road kind of thing. But that that's with the caveat that there are certain games, guys, where Zach comes in and he just asserts his will to an extent where you go, oh, yeah, this guy's top 10. And it's it's not every single game. But it's he has that ability to tune his game up where he hits another level, where he goes up just a little bit more than what he's used to doing where you kind of look at him go, Oh wow. Like right now he might be the most unstoppable player in basketball, like for this particular game. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's extremely difficult to like put a placeholder, put a number on where you would rank him. I think top 15 is, is, is a perfectly fine middle of the road way, but you can definitely see him go up and have a, a higher ranking to that. The second part of your question was about the team's championship potential, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's actually why I wrote that article for Forbes, because here's where I'm going with this. DeMar DeRozan right now is playing the best basketball of his career. I think that's just, that is a fact. I mean, he, he is playing the best caliber of ball ever. Is it reasonable to believe that he will mimic what he does this year next year? Because after all, he is 32. Like, this might be the best that we'll ever see out of DeMar DeRozan. Sack is also playing virtually as well as he did last year. And on one hand, no less. So when that hand heals up, mm. good Lord. So you have these two guys who are both like just upper tier elite players averaging, you know, close to 27 points a game, both of them. Then you have Nikola Vucevic, who's also 31. And he's bound to to return to form. Like, I am not worried about him necessarily. Like, yeah, the shooting funk was really weird. And you don't know the long-term effects of his COVID situation. That said, it's reasonable to assume that he will bounce back and he'll become that third scorer. Now you have Lonzo as well, filling out on the wings defensively. Alex Caruso, I would also argue, is playing a career year. Who's the one guy who's not going to return this year? That's Patrick Williams. So to me, that just begs the question, do you go all in this year at the expense of Patrick Williams, who I love, by the way, absolutely love. It would hurt me to trade him away. 
But if you could get someone for him and a salary filler and get like someone like Harrison Barnes or a Jeremy Grant, personally, I prefer Barnes because of his shot profile, but you know, you can make a reasonable case for either guy. Do you do that to maximize those career years that we're seeing out of these guys? Also with the mindset that, hey, like nothing is ever written in stone. Like we all think that Sack is going to return next year. I also think that. But, you know, weird things can happen. Hmm. He's like, you haven't locked him up for next year so far because you can't. Is this the year to go all in and go 2021, 2022 might be the year to go for a ring? I don't know. I, I, I'm leaning that way because I want to play it on the safe side. And I think a major midseason acquisition, sort of like when Rashid Wallace got traded to the Pistons back in 2004, could help propel them into becoming a finals contender. So I'm asking, I'm actually turning around and asking you guys, based on that line of reasoning, what do you think? Yeah, I think personally, like I, I, at this point, I would wait and see, at least get closer to the trade deadline because I want to see this roster at full health and, and and at full force to see how where they are, are at, how good they can really be. Because I, I still I still think we're uncertain because. We have like we've talked about. We haven't had Booch at his at his regular game. We haven't had Kobe in their regular game. So I, I think if once you see like okay, this roster is clicking at at all levels that they're supposed to be clicking at, and now they're just consistently dominating teams, then you can say okay, look now at the deadline, let's definitely go for it. But yeah. if they're still kind of like okay, they're a good team. Not, you know, I don't know if I want to, you know, trade Pat, you know, kind of mortgage the future, if you will, you know, if they may not be exactly there. I don't know. Like, or, or like I said, or, or you can, or you can reverse that in a sense. If they look so great, maybe you don't need to make a big move. Maybe you just need to make a small move, but if they, if they need to, they don't look so great. Maybe there is a bigger move to be made. I, I guess that's probably a better way to look at it. So, I agree with Mort here that, and I'm having 2010-11 Bulls vibes in my mind in terms of maximize what you can now. Not to say that there's going to be some catastrophic injury later if it changes it, but I I also agree with you too, Salim, where it's like you do want to see what this roster can do, but I would definitely go all in if I could. Uh, I love the Harrison Barnes idea. I don't know if Sacramento does that, but I love it because I think Barnes gives you a two-way four who I think fits perfectly on this team. He can play off the ball. Like, I think he's hitting, what, uh, like 89% of his three-point attempts have been assisted. Yeah. (laughs) So, we know what he can do with the catch-and-shoot three. We know he can hit the corner three defensively you know what you're getting like man he gives you such a dangerous lineup i mean you do lose Derrick jones there who's been playing great but i mean you have to give the get so no i i i would go all in like i think the plot twist to this season has been we did not expect zach levine to be a top 15 player and we didn't expect demar Derozan to play damn near like it too so if you have two top 15 players with a really good defense, 
And then you have a guy like Vooch who is also capable of, I mean, not top 15, but could be like a top like 30-ish, 35-ish guy, I guess, if he gets back to what he is. I think that can win a title. Like, it, it, depending on what happens, you could get lucky and maybe there's te- uh, injuries to other teams. I don't know. Maybe the Bulls continue just to be better than other teams. It, they could get lucky and have a Phoenix type of season. Like, I think I think that was the hope that people were getting out of this offseason is maybe we can find that acquisition like Phoenix did with Chris Paul and we can have that type of trajectory. And it looks realistic right now. Mm. Yeah. Do you, so do you, do you think a, a trade like Pat and the Portland pick and then obviously filler is, is enough because like how much, because I look at Harrison Barnes and I feel like I, I was talking to uh, someone about this and saying like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Harris Barnes and, and, and Edward talked about his shot profile and everything he's doing. And I feel like he's probably developed into the player that people thought he would be coming out of college yeah like yeah. he's finally doing those things that people envisioned like his potential but obviously coming in he was he was you know designated to a certain role with the warriors um with the different teams that he was on and now he's you know to his credit he's worked hard and and added these little skill sets to his game so like what do you think his value really is like as far as like trade wise what the Sacramento Kings can expect to get for him. Like, do you think Pat who granted hasn't necessarily shown a lot, but like that potential is there, but at the same time, he's coming off of a serious injury. Um, and then that Portland pick look, it's looking like it's probably going to be like the 15th pick right now. Uh, and next year's draft, like, is that right. enough? Is that too little? What else would need to be added? If you add Kobe, at that point, are you saying like, man, now who are we going to have off the bench that scores? Like, what wh- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I wouldn't add a pick first and foremost because we simply don't know whether the Bulls will retain that pick. Uh, we still don't know what's going to happen when the verdict comes down. Um, so that's one of the things. Also, you need to match salaries here, and that's why it's Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. because that trade works. What you might be able to do is expand the trade a little bit where you, instead of Derek Jones Jr., give up Troy Brown Jr. and another contract. But that also, I'm a little bit fearful of that because if you then go and trade like four of your you know, rotation guys uh, and then have to re- integrate both Harrison Barnes and like two other Kings players, for example, that suddenly takes some of that that etch off that you've have had all year long with that chip on your shoulder. And I think that would be a mistake. That's why I kind of want to see it being a two for two deal where it's Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. for Harrison Barnes and Jemias Ramsey. Also like Ramsey is, is underrated. He's really underrated in my opinion. I don't understand why Sacramento isn't playing him. I think he's good. Um, The thing is though, yeah. I'll say, so you two think that would be enough like to get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Because the Kings, I, I mean, one thing is the Kings operate in a different realm than the rest of us do. So, like, I can sit here and say it would be enough, but that's through the prism of, you know, a team that acts logically. The Kings don't act logically or rationally at any point. So if they say no, that's their loss. This is a great opportunity for them to actually get younger 
and get a guy who's more age appropriate to go with a De'Aaron Fox, with a Tyrese Halliburton, with a Davion Mitchell. Like they, they need something else going there. Harrison Barnes is 29. He's also, I imagine, playing this caliber of basketball right now, also to showcase his abilities a little bit. I think he's hoping to get out of there at some point because he wants to go back and championship hunt. And that's just not going to happen in Sacramento. So I think that type of value where you get a Patrick Williams, who's young and has a lot of two way upside. And you also get a Derek Jones jr. Who is still young enough that you can keep him around on that team. And he's still throwing like, yeah, he's, he's a necessary salary addition, but he's by no means a throwing player. I mean, we already talked about him in this podcast, just with what he does for you on both ends of the floor. So those are two players that you can really rely on for the future. And I think that would be enough. If the Kings come back and say, well, we also want the Portland pick. That's when you just say, no, thank you. Like then, then you're basically saying, you know, we, we don't want to overpay for this thing. Like it has to be a fair trade through and through because you don't win a championship by consistently overpaying the trades. That's not how it works. Um, so I think that would be, enough at the least at least to the point where you can talk about maybe adding a second round or whatever like okay fine but first rounders i would not do that because those are cost controlled assets for four years you are going to need it especially after you block up sacrament i would love to get harrison barnes and keep Derek jones (laughs) man yeah is is i mean could like patrick kobe and Something else work? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Patrick, if Patrick, Kobe, and Troy Brown Jr., those three, like, but again, th- th- you mortgage your future here. I mean, Troy Brown, yeah. fair enough. I, I like Troy Brown a great deal. I advocated that the Bulls trade for him last year, and they did. Um, but I just don't think he's getting he, – I don't think he's going to end up getting a lot of run on this team. And he's also a restricted free agent after this season. So that could be a potential headache down the road. So if you could get out of that headache – by flipping him in a trade for something you need, you know what? That wouldn't be the end of the world. It's the Kobe thing where you relinquish both Patrick Williams and Kobe White. That's rough. That's mm-hmm. that's a hard pill to swallow. And then you need to get something else from Sacramento as well. The problem is the Kings don't really have a whole lot. Like even if you somehow expand the trade and you also get like Marvin Backley, Marvin Backley does nothing for you. Like what's yeah. he, he is not going to play on this team. He's not that kind of player. Terrence Davis. No, Alex Len. No, Mo Harkless. No, like they're not giving up Davion Mitchell. There's like buddy healed. You're not really because you, where will, where will you find the minutes when you have Javante, you have sack, you have DeMar, you have Caruso, you have Lonzo. Like you're not going to find many minutes for buddy healed. So if anything, it should be a three-team trade where they then relinquish something else and you get something else in as well. Yeah. But no, if you can keep Derek Jones Jr. around while also getting Harrison Barnes in, I mean, that would obviously be great. But I'm not super concerned about that because the Bulls do have a four. They haven't played a whole lot, only 86 minutes this year, who is objectively good. That's Alice Johnson. Mm-hmm. If the Bulls flip Derek Jones Jr. and Patrick Williams for Harrison Barnes, I would have no problem extending uh, Alice Johnson's minutes because he is a rebounding magnet. He will come in and he will be a high percentage scorer because he won't take dumb shots and he will rebound the ever-living heck out of that ball. 
Yeah, he won't be a switchable defender like Derek Jones Jr. Absolutely, the Bulls will take a little step down defensively by by making that trade. But good Lord, the offensive upside. I mean, think about this for a second. Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Harrison Barnes, and Nikola Vucevic in the starting unit. You could realistically have three of those players on the floor at all times. Plus a Kobe White, if we go with the traditional trade of Patrick Williams uh, and, and Derek Jones Jr. You would have so much offensive competence coming out of your nose that you wouldn't know what to do with, which is, a, is something the Bulls haven't had in, what, five years, six years? More yeah. even, actually. Even dating back to the Rose era, they didn't have that. That, would, right. that might be the most competent offensive Bulls, teams, Bulls team we've ever seen in the history of the Bulls. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this too, though. Like, so let's say they get Harrison Barnes, right? Um, that means there would be less essential minutes for a guy like um, Alex Caruso, because like when you're fitting the lineups in, mm-hmm. someone's gonna have to you know go down in minutes as far as uh, rotations are concerned, because because the Bulls are playing small, you're probably being able to see. Caruso get more minutes, you know, maybe at the three or whatever, or he, or even at the four, like he, they've been playing him at certain weird lineups because of that. Um, and Caruso being such a huge impact player, like how, how do you, how does your thoughts change in that regard? I'm not saying like we shouldn't trade for Harrison Barnes right? because of that, but it just, how does your thoughts change for that? So as far as I see it, I see Alex Caruso as a six starter. So I, I think you can pluck and play everyone in there. So let's say Harrison Barnes leaves the court. Well, then you slide DeMar up to the four. You slide Sack up to the three, and then you put Alex Caruso at the two or whatever. Like, again, positions are meaningless in the grand scheme of things, because as we've seen with these Bulls, it's just a concept. They throw everyone out there and is, you know, switching defense all over and drop coverage. So that wouldn't be a, a, a major issue for me. Plus. You could also make the argument that a Harrison Barnes, if he's acquired right now, he's averaging 35 minutes per game, which is similar to Lonzo, to DeMar, and to Zach, and even Vucevic was playing 34 minutes. With the presence of Barnes and having it seem that competent offensively, you actually could get away with saying to the starters, you know what? You are so freaking talented offensively that you guys don't need 35 minutes each and everyone. You can drop down a little bit. We can start to save you in the regular season a little bit. Maybe you play 32 minutes per game. And then when the playoffs come around and we when we tighten that rotation, because most playoff teams, remember when the playoffs roll, rolls around, it is like, it starts out as like a nine-man rotation. And the further into the playoffs mm-hmm. you go, you kind of slim it all the way down to like a seven-man rotation anyway. Mm-hmm. Like the Bulls will have those opportunities right there. Um, I think it's a good question because you still need to have Alex Caruso out there. But if you prioritize him, it shouldn't be a problem because you have all the, the positional flexibility in the world. Hell, I could even see Harrison Barnes playing small ball center on occasion because this team is wild. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly I, I, what I was yeah. thinking about with the playoffs in mind. Just what you said, I think. Your bench gets you through the regular season because there are injuries, there are back-to-backs, you know, whatever, whatever. But in the playoffs, it's about quality and teams go seven, eight, 
sometimes they might even go six. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's just crazy. So it's really just about how much you have at the top. And theoretically, if you have Ball, Zach, DeRozan, Barnes, Vooch, Caruso, you could play like Javante or if DJJ Kobe. is still here or Kobe, like I like there's still possibilities where you can have a solid eight, a solid seven. But if it comes down to just a solid five or six, the Bulls are one of the best teams in the league if they have Harrison Barnes. So I I think that's why I really like this deal was because he he continues to add so much flexibility and versatility to this Bulls team and doesn't hurt you on either side of the ball. And you can also continue to you could let him guard opposing teams best players. Him and Ball. And Caruso mm-hmm. can guard that, and Zach and DeRozan are just kind of like, okay, we're we're resting. And <laughs> one more note about Barnes that I think I probably should have devoted more time in the article uh, to that. He has become a much better playmaker than he was just a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. last season, he was averaging a career high of three and a half assists. And for people listening, they go three and a half assists. That's not a whole lot. For his caliber, it was. It was a very efficient type of playmaking because he, he like he was playing alongside Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton at the time. Like he he has grown to the point where if someone closes out hard on him, he can take a couple dribbles and then find a cutter, for example, which was which very often would be Rashawn Holmes, for example. Like he is a smart basketball player. What he's done this year is focusing a little bit more on his own scoring evolution. That's why he gets the line six and a half times per game. That's why he takes five triples. Like he's a little bit more trigger happy this year, but given that he has a true shooting percentage of over, I think it was 65. Oh, it's dropped down to 64, but I mean, that's still an elite oh, number. <laughs> um, you, you just have to look at that and go, that's a well-rounded offensive player. And defensively, you know, I understand what you're saying, Edward. I think gauging his defense is a little bit weird because he's playing in Sacramento, and Sacramento is is just weird. I mean, there Luke Walton is running that team. He has no business doing that. They're 23rd in the league in, in defense. So I want to see what Barnes could do in a good defense. Like, is that going to level him up as a defensive player? I think it could. Um, the skill set is there. It's just a question of can you make a trade work are you willing to take uh, a, a Derek Jones Jr. and sacrifice him for a Harrison Barnes? And like, maybe I'm just buying the Kool-Aid when I offer a trade like this, when I say, look, why not go all in? No, I, 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 th- I, think, I think you're right. I think you're right because, again, we this is all such a perfect storm. Like, I think in when we were talking about predictions a few weeks back before the season started, I was in six seed, I guess. Like, you know, I thought – the Bulls are going to be solid, but I didn't have them as a contender. They look like a contender right now. And mm-hmm. the again, the plot twist is that DeRozan and Levine are playing like top 15 players this season. And they have been the best, like arguably the best scoring duo in basketball so far, averaging like what, 26 a game. So it, it just opens up so much. So it's just like, okay, do you take advantage of that? And do you go all in and say, hey, let's get this guy and let's. Let's go for it. So it, I, I think we're gonna find out more as they play some more really good teams to see how they match up. I think we'll start paying a, attention a lot more when we talk about these Milwaukee games that are coming up later in the season when they play Brooklyn again, when they you know when they play Philly whoever again. 
it'll tell us more and it'll probably point AK in the direction of what he needs to do as a buyer at the deadline. And, you know, if he's feeling froggy, I I think that Harrison Barnes move might be the leap. It it would be very interesting. And that's the thing for me. Like, I think the Bulls fans shouldn't take away from this that I'm sitting here going, oh, you're going to win the championship if if you get Harrison Barnes. Yeah. I'm kind of using Daryl Morey's philosophy, which is if you th- believe that you have more than a 5% chance of winning the championship, you owe it to yourself and your organization of going all in. And as of right now, looking at the Western Conference, which is just so bad, I mean, it, this is the worst of the Western Conference has been in like 20 years. And then you kind of look at the East where you were kind of expecting like just severe competition. And like the Knicks, for example, are only nine and seven. Like the Boston Celtics are only nine and eight. They haven't really looked all that well. Boston has been, or sorry, Milwaukee has been struggling with, with injuries. Atlanta right now are outside the playoff picture. Indiana is free falling. Like is right now the, the second best team in the in the east is the Washington Wizards and like granted they're greatly improved but if the bulls met them in the playoffs i'm taking the bulls yeah. i'm hitting <laughs> i'm hitting that that bulls button all the way through i mean even brooklyn no kyrie irving right miami super super good team but they're very very top heavy if just one or two of their guys go down for a significant period of time they're toast they have nothing then you can go, oh, Charlotte's looking feisty. Cleveland are looking feisty. That's great. I would still say that the Bulls would absolutely skull F them in the playoffs. Yeah, there's a there's a path here to there's a path here. And I like that we can I like that we're talking about this now is that the season went from, oh, yeah, the Bulls are going to be solid. It'll be decent. So, oh, man, there might actually be something here where there's a deep playoff run within this yep. team. So. I don't know. I I think Salim is right. Where we're gonna we're gonna find out more. We're gonna find out more about this roster before they make a really big move, and it's definitely gonna be beneficial for these future matchups. Uh, looking at the rest of the schedule coming up, uh, we'll we'll say like the next six games they have New York Pacers. They're at Houston, at Orlando, Miami, and then Charlotte. So. Oh. So how do you how do you see the stretch coming? I think these are all winnable games. I think Miami game is the toughest one, but I mean this is a Agreed. stretch where they could go five and one. I I agree. I think they could stump a little bit against Charlotte as well because yeah. I mean it's just a long regular season, and sometimes you know you just you have those calendar losses. You know what I mean? But if if there is a time for the Bulls to go on like a major winning streak, now could be it because like like we talked about this before we started recording, the Knicks played last night against the Rockets, the worst team in the league. And they looked so bad. They, they looked like they were going to lose that game. If it wasn't for Alec Burks who came in in the fourth and hit five triples, like Alec Burks more or less saved the Knicks single-handedly from losing to the Rockets. And the Knicks starters have been dreadful in recent weeks. I think now is the time for the Bulls to get some payback after that one point loss back in, was it late October? Mm. Um, the Pacers, that should be a win. That's on, that's at the UC. The Pacers are struggling. Just let Karis LeVert take all the shots that he wants because he's not hitting anything. The Rockets, that should be a win. The Magic, that should be a win. Miami is going to be a real test. You're right. I, I really think 
that, but that's at home too. I wouldn't mm. be shocked if the Bulls took that one. And same for the Hornets game. My God, I mean, looking at this and looking where the Bulls were a year ago, to sit here and say for the next six games and actually seven, because then they also play the Knicks in in New York on December second, to sit here and go, you know what, the Bulls could win every single one of those games. Like, my God, it just brings a smile on my face. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Personally, really looking forward to that Miami game because, yep. like you said, that's going to be the biggest test. And uh, hopefully, Vooch will be back like a few games before that game, so you can kind of get comfortable again uh, before we, you know, face them. Uh, but I'll be excited to see how the offense is able to attack their defense. Agreed. So that's yeah. going to be an interesting matchup. Um, and and my guy Jimmy Butler, MVP caliber player player right now he's absolutely absolutely uh, i wrote an article about that on forbes as well a couple of weeks back he has been phenomenal and remember when everyone was kind of against jimmy Butler as a top 10 player people right. were like no he doesn't have the numbers my god i mean this guy is just so influential wherever he goes the team starts to win he has this great great impact on his teammates He's super adaptable. He plays tough nosed defense. He, he kind of adjusts his games, his, his game to the players around him. Like, yeah, Jimmy Butler is absolutely an MVP candidate. Are you crazy right now? He is so good. 25 a game, five and a half boards, five and a half assists, two steals, getting to the line nine times a game, 85% from the line, 54% from the field. This dude is. Like he's got a PER of thirty point six. <laughs> yeah, he's playing oh it ridiculous tonight. It's crazy. Like, you know, last season he had his arguably, I think he had his best season of his career. Um, and then this season, he's, I mean, he's thirty two years old. He's older, getting older, but he's getting better. So it's like, I keep saying, I, I, I made my bold prediction. That he's a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, like, I was just gonna opinion. ask that. Is he, is he a Hall of Famer at this yeah. rate? I think what, at this point, probably not. But I think when it's said and done, Jimmy Butler is going to end up having a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, he should be. Look, if Reggie Miller is in the Hall of Fame, so should Jimmy Butler. Right. I mean, I just think, like, I, I look at his, like, so he has five All-Stars right now, four All-Defense, four All-NBA, something like that. He's probably going to end up with at least two or three each of those more. Yeah. At the very least. And you add in his gold medal. I mean, I, to me, he's going to end up as a Hall of Famer. And I, I love Jimmy. Like, I, I always gravitate towards players who are, who are like, um, outside of, like, outside of MJ, like, guys that didn't have the potential supposedly coming into the league. They weren't looked at as, like, oh, these guys are going to be so great players. And then they find a way to do it. Like, even a guy like Joe Keem, you know, obviously he was the ninth pick, but. You know, people didn't look at Joe Keem as a guy that's eventually going to be defensive player of the year or yeah. such a big caliber player, impactful player. So, yeah, those guys are players I always gravitate more towards. And, like, I'm, I'm forever a Jimmy Stan. It's, oh, for sure. It's crazy how his game has aged, like, really well. Like, I, I admit, like, not to, you know, dwell too much on the, you know, should we have traded Jimmy thing, but I'll admit, like, even though I was on the side of we shouldn't, I did think that, like, man, I could see his game, like, falling off a little bit in this, like, early 30s. But, man, 
it seems like he just got better in his 30s. So it's just crazy, like the level he's playing. You said he's almost at a 31 player efficiency rating. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think I think what he's done, and more players should really watch him. So Jimmy came into the league as an elite athlete. Like he could jump really high. He was very speedy. We saw the Bulls use him as a lob threat a lot when he was younger. And I think that was part of why people thought, well, you know, he's getting a lot of these numbers off of athleticism. Like, no, he he was also sturdy and strong and physical. And he just kind of transitioned. Like he was like, okay, so I'm getting beginning to slow down in terms of my athletic ability, but that means I just have to work harder getting stronger. I need to be able to uh, de-escalate on drives and or sort of de-accelerate on, on drives a little bit so I can get, get more open layups and more open shots. Like his IQ is just so sky high that he was like, yeah, it doesn't matter if I lose a step because I'll, I'll understand how I can use my body to still do what I want to do with the ball or without the ball for that matter. I mean, when he said Remember when he said he wanted to be a point guard and everyone was like, well, how dare he? Derrick Rose still on the team. Mm. The Bulls should just have let him do it. Like that would have been so, so smart to just give Jimmy the basketball and make him the primary decision maker and just free up Derrick as this scoring off ball cutter Dwayne Wade-esque type of player. Mm. That would have been so much better than what they did. Um yeah, now we're going back to it. We really shouldn't, but yeah, <laughs> we don't. No, know. yeah, I'm, at this point, I'm not. I'm not like. I mean, I, I love Jimmy, I, and where the Bulls are at now, I'm. I, I want to see this ride go through. Yeah, so I'm not necessarily like. I'm not talking about Jimmy as in like, man, I'm so. Like, I mean, I, I guess there's a part of me that's always going to be like, man, I wish they hadn't traded him because he's like, I, I, he is my favorite player in the league. I, I've mm-hmm. said that multiple times, and I still believe. I still feel it. But like at this point, like I'm, I'm very happy where, where the bulls are at and um, I want to see them to see how they can continuously grow and where they can end up here. Yeah. It, it ended up working out for both sides and like usually the superstar trading, a superstar trade doesn't work out well for a team trading it. Cause they end up getting stuck with like Eric Gordon and Chris Kamen or something like that. But uh, this has worked out for both sides and I think the one thing about Jimmy Butler now or that trade now is that Chicago and Miami is a, I mean, we're going to see it in a week. That's a really good matchup on paper. I mean, talking about Butler likely guarding Zach or DeRozan down the stretch. Both teams have really solid starting lineups. Like it's well coached. Like that's going to be a really good matchup and it could be a really good playoff series down the road. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And it will also have those subplots. Could you imagine a Bulls Heat series, Jimmy coming back to the United Center, all that? That would be fun. Like, oh, yeah. I, I would enjoy that. And then I kind of hope that the UC will not boo him because I don't think he deserves that whatsoever. Um, but no, I, I, yeah. I, it could be fun. He didn't want out. So, I mean, he wanted to stay here. But yeah. it's what, you know, people boo for weird reasons. Like, they booed Derek for some reason. I don't know why they booed Derek oh when he came back. <laughs> Oh, Lord. I, <laughs> like, so I don't know. I'll never, I'll never get over that one. I'll never get over all of that. <laughs> like Derek didn't want to be traded. He wanted to be here. Like, what's the problem here? Why are you booing him? Yeah, it's, uh, whatever. I don't know. More. This has been great, man. Always love talking to you. 
can you know, let our listeners know what you're work like what you've been working on and you know just tell them where yeah. they can find you at on, on social media man well and thank you so much for having me guys it's always a blast uh you can find me on twitter at msjnba and yeah i'm doing podcasts with brian Sporek over at the nba podcast you can find that at the nba pod on twitter also writing over at forbes sports i take a kind of holistic view of the league and sometimes i go into player specifics or trade ideas as my harrison barnes piece to the bulls uh, for example uh not working on any major project right now but that might change in the future so we'll see but again thank you guys so much for for having me uh, always enjoy myself so much yeah, absolutely, Mars. Again, this was a blast. We always love talking to you. We've been talking to you since the real GM days. I feel like we've all like replied, like quote replied each other to death for like ten or fifteen years on real GM. But <laughs> it's always been fun. Uh, Salim, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, just uh, Mort. Always a pleasure having him on. It's it's uh, it's you know it's it's a special thing for us, especially watching him. Uh, become like what he has now, yeah. like as far as his basketball career as a writer and, and, and everything, you know, we, 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 we make playful jokes about, you know, him being verified and being a, you know, a TV star, but like, we're so happy to see like everything he becomes, especially because, you know, we were all just fans posting on a real GM board and, and it's fun to see someone like one of your own kind of, go on and become such you know success in yeah, a sense so absolutely. it's fun seeing that and then and then lastly i'll say like um one thing i want to mention with billy you know like i said i'm 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 having fun seeing him you know coaching out there and, and doing like we talked about the wrinkles he's adding you know one thing i'll, I'll mention since before the, like before the warriors game and before like he wasn't doing a lot of off-ball action for zach um, like setting screens and stuff. And we're wondering, because that's something we're all wondering about, like, you know, especially with Zach's catch and shoot ability from three point uh, uh, land in the sense behind the arc, that's been one of his, you know, biggest strengths. And we thought, you know, this season we would see a lot more of that. So, you know, before November 13th, Zach was averaging about maybe two catch and shoot threes a game. Um, since that game, He's been averaging like 5.8 catch and shoot mm. opportunities. So there, Billy's added a lot of wrinkles for uh, plays, getting Zach those off ball opportunities, getting moving, like I said, moving him off screens, and obviously even working with Demar in in the pick and roll, pick and pop situation. So it, it's been fun, uh, really fun seeing that. And Zach right now is back at you know shooting 48.9 percent uh, on catch and shoot threes. That's absurd. Mm. Like. Essentially, uh, thinking Automatic. about a three is th- a catch and shoot three ball is a coin flip. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's fun seeing that. And like, like I said, I'm just having fun watching this team play and and seeing all the new things that you know we have been seeing in the past. Yeah, this this season's been a blast. Like this is this is definitely up there in terms of like post Jordan season. Like this is this is approaching like that 2010-11 stratosphere. So it's, oh, it's higher for me. Oh, higher? Oh, wow. Yeah, you think it's yeah. higher, man? I don't know. That's no, but that's it's because it's funner. Like it's 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 more fun yeah. to watch, and I take entertainment level into it. Like, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. it was fun watching, you know, Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, short roll, pick and roll action. But this is different, man. This is like 
Zach Levine dunking on fools, DeMar DeRozan finishing clutch games, like the offense, we're seeing so much more offense out of this group. Like even in the best of days under the tips, Rose, Noah era, there were definitely like five or six minutes every single game where you kind of go, oh, okay, <laughs> please score a basket soon. Um, that that issue isn't here. Yeah. I love that. No, that is, that is definitely true. I think – yeah, it's it's like they won in different ways. Like you mentioned, the, those Bulls teams, they were just suffocating on defense. So it was just like the grinded out, the grab the rope games where you win 91 to 85 and Rose was yeah. the only one who did anything worth a damn offensively and saved the day. And it was just, I think it was just that novelty of Derrick Rose becoming like this, this MVP, this top five-ish player in the league and it had been so long since we've seen anything comparable to it. It was just, it was just crazy. But yeah, you're right. This whole, uh, like Stacey King is a, the shy slam a jamma thing. It's, it's pay-per-view. It's must watch. It is. It really is. And plus, I mean, there's no Keith Bokens in the starting lineup. So come on now. Right. <laughs> there's no Keith Bokens. We don't, I don't think this, I mean, I guess maybe, Javante was oh Javante is so fun though. Javante is probably more impactful. He's so fun. Oh my god, (laughs) I love watching. Like he's not gonna like fill up any stat sheets, but man, when he makes a play, it is so much. Like (laughs) yeah, yeah. he's he's fun off the bench. He's been like I said, he's been one of those guys that we did not expect this, and you know, being in the rotation and what how much impact he would have and. I think I'll say this too. Like a lot of these guys were surprised by by guys like Derek Jones Jr., Javante, Io. Like you put these guys on last year's team, and they're not doing all this because the the structure is just not there for them to do these things. Right. Yes. Right. It's, that's why I like when you look at players, um, and especially when right now recently, uh, not to prolong our conversation, but like you got look at a guy like Tony Bradley Jr you know, putting him in place of, of Vooch is difficult. And people are trying to go down on him. It's like, look, he, this, he's, it's not his fault. He's doing at, he's being asked to do things that is not in his skill set. If you go back to listen, allow him to be who he is, he's a good rotation impactful player and let him be that. And he will be because when Vooch comes back, he's going to be going back to that role. But like I said, you know, I, that's how people need to view players in this league. Everyone has a, for the most part, you know, has a role. I'm sure there's some guys that just don't belong in the league. You can argue that uh, bulls have had plenty of those guys in the last five years on the roster that don't belong in the league. But like I said, you know, there's, there's certain players that are doing these things because they're being put in situations to excel. They're putting, mm. being put in place to, you know, succeed, essentially. Yeah. When, when there's adults in the room, there's more structure and right. that's what we have right now. Like you mentioned, you don't have, IO doesn't have to come in and be the hero. He just needs to come in and do the things that he knows how to do. Caruso doesn't have to come in and drop 25, just come in play defense, hit an open shot. That's your role. Yep. And it, all of it makes sense. There's a clearly defined structure here. And the other impressive thing is in, Salim, you talked about this a lot last season, like winning in the margins. The Bulls are winning in the margins. Javante right. Green, uh, Io, Tony Bradley has been solid. Uh, their contracts 
like up and down look good. They're getting something out of everyone and it's all fairly priced. And yeah. I, I think that's a big difference because the past few teams have been like, uh, this guy makes such and such and he's not. Can you play him down the stretch? Uh, can you play him against? Don't have that problem anymore. Totally agree. Yeah. But yeah, we will see what this Bulls team can do in these next uh, stretch of games. Mort saying five and one. I'm saying five and one. Salim, you saying five and one too? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I feel like we'll, we'll see what happens. Though, obviously, I'm 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 intrigued to see. Hopefully, Vooch comes back sooner than later. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, we hopefully he can finally pass the um, two negatives in the 24 hours span, so then he can go on to do the cardio test. Exactly. So. Um, but yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll see. I, I think that it's a five and one is doable because of the schedule. Yeah. So get well soon, Vooch. We hope to see you back again. Thank you to Mort for dropping by as always and providing us some great knowledge and analysis, man. Uh, if you missed any past episodes of Bulls Goals, you can find us right here on Barroom Network and check out our shows on Spotify, on Apple, on Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts and you will you can uh, catch us uh, next time. So for Swing Through the Wild, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold and we will catch you later, Bulls fans.